beautiful atmosphere. You love to praise the Lord. You love how it changes you. Have you felt Him in the room this morning? Aren't you glad that your heart chooses right now to lift your hands and praise Him? Aren't you glad you're not standing here this morning thinking, I didn't feel nothing. Ain't nothing doing on me. But your heart is crying out to Him. You can sense His presence now. You can't help but bow right now. You know, the, the Bible talks about on that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I, there was a man wrote a song, said, I choose right now. I'm not going to wait till then. I choose right now to do that. There ain't going to have no stony heart in me. There ain't going to be no bitterness or root of nonsense in me that keeps me from worshiping him. I was telling Brother Elliot just a couple weeks ago that every person you will ever meet in your life, every person you ever bump into needs what happens in this room right now. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body was created for God to dwell right there. And if it ain't, then there's a perversion going on. Something's wrong. Satan has defeated you somewhere. But you're not meant to be defeated. Satan is defeated. Brother Matt's preaching this morning. I want to share something with you before he comes. Something, Lord, I was reading this morning, and it's a COD book, but it's excerpts out of questions and answers. And, and I don't mean it all to take his time, and he knows there ain't no limit. He preached all day long. We got nowhere to be. I want what God has for us. <clears throat> I'm not trying to break up the flow of the service, but what was come across this. This is out of the questions and answers, January 3rd, 1954. Charity, if you'll just put in, look up, just type in modernistic religious cults. Modernistic religious cults. This is a question that was put to Brother Branham. Now this is 1954. This is before the seals were open. I understand that. But, but it was still preached in the time that William Branham was a prophet. Amen. He didn't become a prophet February 28, 1963. He was born a prophet. God spoke to him. And, and we can share with you hundreds of thousands of instances that proves that be nothing but the truth. So the question's turned in. Is not Isaiah, this is Isaiah 2, the question's out of. Is not Isaiah's meaning of the beating of the swords and the plowshares, you, know, you remember the Moses scripture, to come to pass during the 1,000 year reign of Christ rather than something that man can bring, as so many modern religionists tell us? You're reading it as, I, as, I'm, as I'm reading it too. Your eyes are seeing it too. This is the question turned in. Is that not what that means? And he says, ever who you are, my dear brother or sister, and he said, you know, skipping down, looks like a man's handwriting. Whoever you are, you're exactly right. That Isaiah 2, that's when the plowshares, he said, or the, the swords will be beat into plowshares that will bring forth the millennium reign. And all those modernistic religious cults that's going around trying to educate people into the kingdom of God, that'll be when God himself will come in the supernatural being, now, I share this with a lot. As you look at the scripture, that different, it'll move backwards and forwards. It'll jump to the rapture. It'll jump to the thousand-year reign. It'll move back and forth. You've got to be paying attention to see what God is speaking. Now, in this that I'm reading to you, he's talking about the millennium, and he's talking about the rapture. And we shared that recently with you that, that many people, that, that you come up with the idea that the bride on the day of the rapture will be running and hiding. Not the bride. Don't let that get in your mind. Not the bride. The remnant of the woman's seed will be hiding. Some will be shot on the spot. Some will have to give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some will be put into concentration camps. But not the bride. Not the bride. Let's get that out of your mind right now. Not the bride. So listen to this as he's speaking. Now you watch. He's talking about the millennium and he's talking about the rapture. 
he said that'll bring forth a millennium reign and all of those modernistic religious cults that's going around trying to educate people into the kingdom of God and there's only one way to get into the kingdom you got to be born into it you don't shake my hand you don't put your name on a book you're born into the kingdom of God he said that'll be when God himself will come in the supernatural being now we know this is what's happened in our day that God himself has come in his supernatural being now listen to this in the supernatural power to a supernatural believing people is that you this morning supernatural believing people and will receive you'll receive a supernatural power that will mold God's sons he said hallelujah It'll never be no more reading, writing, arithmetic. It'll be by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, then the world will study war no more. Every nation today, every power, every kingdom is controlled by the devil. The Bible says so. And one of those days, one of these days, the kingdom of this world will become. I just read this scripture to you recently. One of these days, the kingdom will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He'll rule and reign a thousand years upon the earth and rapture the church. Now, you know that the rapture doesn't happen during the tribulation. It doesn't happen in the millennium. He's talking about the second coming when God himself comes and he raptures his church away. But you have an aspect of that in your life. See, Brother Brandon talked about that third pool being for the eternally lost and for the bride. They asked a question I read to you recently. said, uh, what's your God do? What kind of God do you serve? Is there anything to him? Oh, I can prove to you there's something to him. This morning, this atmosphere, this anointing, this presence in this room can prove to you there's something to him. Last Sunday morning, we're standing here. The Lord was moving in such a powerful way. If there was one person in this room with any demon on you, it could have been taken off. If there was one person in this room that needed healing last Sunday morning, and right now, thank God right now, it can be healed right now. What keeps you in your seat? If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what keeps you in your seat? You can have it right now. You, you get no better presence than right now. You come. God has it for you right now. As our brother comes this morning. You realize where you're sitting at today. You're not sitting in my presence. You're not sitting in Matthew Webster's presence. You're sitting in the presence of Elohim. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, ask abundantly that your joys might be full. Without my notes, but well, so I just wanted to pose a question to start with. We've all been guilty of it. We've all heard things that uh, people quote the Bible, but they leave out maybe the last half of a verse or the context to the verse. Um, so I just want to. Real quick poll of the room. There's 30-ish of us in here. Who's heard the scripture? It's in Psalms. We'll go over it. God will give you the desires of your heart. So everybody goes, okay, so whatever I want, God's going to give me. Right? 
So let's go to exactly. Let's go to Psalms 37. We'll read a couple verses and then we will pray. Let's see where I'm at here. I ran out of bookmarkers to show. <laughs> Psalms 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee de the desires of thine heart. And that's where people just stop. We don't read. We don't read three. We don't read through the rest of it. We stop at four, and you say, I get whatever I want, and if he doesn't give it to me, he doesn't exist, so I can go do whatever I want. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to come here in your presence and to share the word that you have laid on my heart with your people this morning. I just, first and foremost, just thank you for this opportunity and I thank you for coming here and dwelling with us and I thank you for vindicating this service that we are going in the direction that you want us to go and I ask Lord that you just let me sit aside let me just take a back seat and you come forth use my voice use me I am a willing vessel here this morning father that you will use me to bring out this word the way that you have it intended not my will, but your will be done in this. Father, just take over everything that is left in this service. I thank you for blessing every one of the musicians and blessing the, the computer and, and everything in the feed. And I just thank you for everyone that is listening, that will listen, that will ever tune in and just catch a glimpse of it. If that's all they get, let that be enough to quicken that seed inside of them that it will grow and flourish and bear fruit for you, Amen. Jesus. Amen. And I thank you for what you're going to bring forth. I ask, I ask, Lord, that now that the, the ground has been planted, that the seed will or has been tore up and has been nourished and has been watered, that the seed will now be planted in each and one of our hearts that we will be able to take what you have in store for us in this and not just hold it to ourselves, not just hold those talents that you give us to ourselves, but share it with the world. Let, let them see the light that you have given to us. Let us shine like the noonday and let us know that we are not worthy in any way to have anything, any blessings that you give us, but it is through our faith and through our, our surrender and through our, our, our living sacrifice to give to you that we may have our heart's desire. And I just ask, Lord, that you bless the reading of your word and watch over and protect us. Open our ears, open our eyes, and more importantly, open our hearts. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Okay. So the title of this, I changed a couple times. Um, I actually wrote all my notes with no title. 
Uh, when Brother Sam asked me if I want, uh, if I had anything laid on my heart, this is not what was on my heart. Uh, and then they were having some sicknesses, and, and Tuesday night I sat down with the idea to write something else that I, I thought that I was going to go with, and I can't even remember what that was, so it obviously wasn't important. And then I titled this, um, at first, <coughs> excuse me, I titled this, um, Leaving It All Out in the Open, and then literally just this morning, I changed it back to, uh, or I changed it to Open Heart Surgery. So, that is going to be the title of this, and I pray that the Lord will take just take over and that this will not be me. So when we, this scripture, 37 and 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This has been used and abused so many times, and I'm sure we've all heard it, and we go, he'll just give me whatever I want. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, if I want that new car, he'll give it to me. If I want that new job, he'll give it to me. And not that he won't do those things, but it has to be within his will, first and foremost. So what we have to do here and the way that we can bring this scripture to pass is we have to put all of us into him. We have to put our plans in the Lord we have to put our business in the Lord. We have to put ourselves in the Lord. And when we choose to put our relationships in the Lord, not just your relationship with your husband or wife, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your co-workers, your relationship with your sons and daughters, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, but also your relationship with that person that really, really, really gets under your skin. The relationship with that person that you just cannot stand to look at sometimes because everything about them just rubs you like a cat from tail to head. And if you've ever done that with a cat, they don't appreciate it. So when we put everything that we have into him then he will give your heart what it should desire and what it should desire is what he desires for you so you might think Matt you're kind of almost starting in what would almost seem like the middle of a sermon and I thought the same thing but I kind of wanted to start in a way God led me, let me put it that way, I didn't want to start anywhere, but God led me in a way to, we're going to lay a good ground, and then we're going to come back and we're going to tear it down a little bit, dig deeper, I hope, and then we're going to see how we can do this, because that's not an easy thing, living in fleshly bodies, to give everything that we have, um, I was going to, I had this idea that I was going to, I got looked, I got 30-something tabs of paper in my pocket here, and I was going to put them out and have everybody write down uh, 
that one thing that you just can't seem to get deliverance over. Um, whether it be a sin, whether it be something that you're having trouble with. And then um, I didn't bring my basket up, but I was going to bring a basket right here to the altar. And we're going we're gonna to write it down and put it in the altar, put it on the altar, lay it down on the altar. And I know that it's just a physical thing, and you go, Matt, that doesn't, that sounds childish. Well, you know what? I was called to be a youth pastor, so stick with me. We're all children of God. Uh, I didn't get my paper out in time, and it was because I don't think I'm going to make it through this in one service. Or we might be here to much later this evening and have to do two meals today. So just be prepared. That's probably what we'll do next time that I preach. But we also, there's, for some reason, this is not anywhere that I was going. There's a stigma about coming to the altar. And I don't know why. Why does there have to be Okay, well, now the altar is open. I don't see doors for you to come up and lay yourself down and lay your cares down to God at any time during a service. And I'm sure this goes for about any preacher that will ever stand behind this pulpit. If you ever feel at any time that you need to run up here and give something to God, you're not going to distract me. I can keep going right through it. And if I feel that we need to pray for you, right. everybody else can wait. That's right. That's right. Amen. Come on. So there's that. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. We are going to test our Bible scripture finding skills. I wanted to put it on here. I forgot. I forgot my phone's up there. But I found a, I found a chart. That if you look in your Bible, about everybody's Bible here, there's a whole bunch of scriptural references, like all down the sides of your pages. And I found somebody actually went through and they did each one of those. And it's a massive bar chart, basically is what it is. At the bottom of the chart, I have it on my phone, so anybody that wants to see it, I will show it to you. Um, at the bottom of the chart, you have Genesis all the way through Revelation. The longer the book, the longer that bar is down. And then it has a line to every book that is then referenced off of that book. The more references, the longer the line, the more books it touches, the different color the line, and it makes a rainbow all the way down. There is not one book in here that is not referenced by multiple other books and back and forth. I read a thing the other day that the Catholic Church in 400 or 600 A.D. took 14 books out of the Bible. And um, they've put five of those back, the Apocrypha. And if you've ever read the Apocrypha at all, you can kind of feel that I see why it got taken out the first time. I personally feel that the reason that they had those 14 books taken out, a lot of people you know, talk bad about the Catholic Church, and they, they have their issues, but every denomination does. We're not going to go into that. But God used the Catholic Church at that time to take those 14 extra books out because they did not go with what was in here. I guarantee that if you had that same chart with those 14 extra books, they would not line up as much as the other ones. So in Jeremiah 17, 9, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So why would we want, if right there it says our heart is deceitful (laughs) above all things and desperately wicked, so why would you want the desires of your heart in a fleshly sense? Why would I want what my heart says that it wants if my heart is not in Jesus? Our natural hearts are prideful, deceitful, selfish, self-serving when we are in our own self. He's not going to give you everything that is already in your heart. So if it's already in your heart, what do we have to do? In a a natural sense, it's got to come out and it's got to come open. You cannot clean it out fully. My dad and I have skinned I can't even count how many animals fixed them for taxidermy, this and that. You have to get down in there. You can't just take it and expect to make some small cuts and pull out the whole carcass and it be perfectly clean, and then you can tan it, and then it's done, and you sell it for tons of money. When you're doing taxidermy work, when you're doing anything where you're trying to tan a, tan a pelt or make something out of it later, you have to have it clean. If there's anything left that is not that is not just the backside of the leather and the fur that is on it, it will then cause rot. It will then cause issues. The hair will slip out, and it will cause all kinds of problems. We are the same way. If we are keeping our heart closed up, we've already talked about multiple times that how Jesus is a gentleman, and he will just stand at the door and wait for you to open it up. If you do not open it up to him, and you don't let him go make that sandwich and sit in your bed, and not that he's going to trash your house, but he's going to move a lot of stuff out. Because he has to. Because we as human beings, we were born in sin, we live in iniquity, and we have to give that up to him. Jeremiah said it. There is nothing in your heart. We can paraphrase that, make it a little shorter. There's nothing good in you. Nothing. Everybody goes, oh, well, he has a pure heart. How do you get a pure heart? Only one way. Lord Jesus Christ moves in, fillets it open, and scrapes everything out. There is no other way. When you get in the Lord, When you get surrounded by his will, his idea for you, when you get accountability, you got to come out of yourself and delight yourself in the Lord. Then he will change the things in your heart and you will start wanting what he wants for you. What kind of accountability, Matt? You have to know that there's nothing good in you. You have to know that your account, we've heard it said tons of times, coming from a small town very much, that a man's word is his bond. A man, a man has nothing else but his word. A man, these, so, but your word, unless you are in Jesus, your word is nothing. Because it's all lies. It does not take much to change, obviously. It does not, Brother Sam and I were talking about when God and the angels of the Lord came up and talked to Abraham, and Abraham says, my Lord, 
and there's three people standing there. And then a little bit later on, we go down to the bottom, and the, uh, God, the angel, he stayed with Abraham to talk. The two angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah to go talk to Lot and pull him and his family out, and he goes, my lords. That's one letter difference. So why did Abraham say my Lord and not my Lord's? That one letter difference is the accountability. Because he knew that the two that were walking in the back were not the one God that have, has brought him up out of everything else. Look back at Abraham's history. I'm not as big of a history buff as some of the dad for one. Abraham came out of an area of paganism that sacrificed their own children. Um, he was actually an idol maker and God took him and made him the father of all nations. Why? What's the difference? Why Abraham? He wasn't the only one that was there. There was something in Abraham that God saw in that other dimension that said, I know that he'll open his heart up. It might have only took one time for Abraham to go, something's not right here. We've all been in that instance. I've been to multiple churches. Not all of us, you know, I mean, there's multiple people here that have denominational backgrounds, and there's sometimes that you're sitting and listening to somebody and go, Scripture, I mean, it's, he's reading the Scripture, but something doesn't sound right. Something sounds off. There's something in me that even when I wasn't given everything that I can, as much as I can, and I know I still have so much more to give, don't get me wrong, but there was something even back then that I would go, something doesn't sound right. There's a different ring in that bell. It, it just doesn't sound right. And that might have been all it took for Abraham was that accountability that at one point he just had a moment of clarity and he said, that doesn't seem right. I mean, even if it was more, if we keep sacrificing children, our whole, our whole area is going to die. We're going to kill off a whole generation. And it might have been just that little bit. I don't know. That's between him and God. I don't know. But you look at it and then you look at how great God made him that people people would just know like you knew and when when God walked up out of the desert Abraham knew who it was because they have that personal connection if I showed up at your door and you look out the window and I don't care how long your driveway is at some point you're going to go oh that's Matt no matter who's walking with me I can have a whole mob of strangers, and as soon as you catch a peek, you go, oh, that's Matt. So if you know me like that, do you know Jesus like that? If Jesus came and knocked on your door, no matter what he looks like, no matter what physical appearance he has, will you know, because when you show up, can you feel that celestial vibration, that deep calling to the deep going, that's Jesus. Not just Jesus in somebody. That's from head to toe saturated. 
I was on Instagram one day and I saw a picture and it said something and it said uh, or a video and this girl said, what's the best compliment that you could ever get? And, you know, I mean, a lot of people, oh, well, that's really pretty clothes. You're really pretty this. You're, most of those things is what most people would say. And the and what it said was, um, I see Jesus in you. Or like you said in that one, he's been with Jesus. I want to walk into places and people go, there's not just something different about him. There's a glow about him. There's a joy about him. And even if they don't know Jesus, they go, he's been with Jesus. Ezekiel 36 and 26. It's just over a couple pages there, at least in my Bible. And I got a pretty thick Bible. 36 and 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That last part can be very easily confusing because the word flesh is used twice, but it has two different meanings. The stony heart of your flesh. Your flesh being, if we go in, if we went all the way forward into Romans and, and those, that area when we're talking about how the flesh is weak, and, and if you talk about the flesh in that sense, that's what that top part is. A heart of your flesh being that is your physical body. That is this, this body that is skin, that is sin, that is iniquity. That is the flesh. Because everybody here would go, my heart is not made out of stone. It beats, obviously, I'm alive. But the stony heart of your flesh, meaning that it cannot change. If you take a tombstone... And I say this later on, but I'm going to use it here. We'll just move my notes around. If you took, if you go find a tombstone, we are, this area, just a couple hours up the road, you got, you know, Boot Hill up in Dodge City. We have very old cemeteries in this area because of the people that moved out here for all different types of things and to settle and whatnot. So we have very old tombstones. You find that tombstone, and what do you do? You take it, and you look at it, and you go, well, it's rock. I can't read anything on it. I can't read the name on it. I can't read a date on it. But when it was new, people would look at it and go, man, that's probably pretty expensive. You can even take these new marble tombstones or whatnot, and you look at them, and they look fine when they're new. They look very expensive. You can have pictures put on them, but you leave it a couple hundred years, and what happens? You can't read a thing on it. It stays the same. There is no growth. It cannot be changed. If you had the Ten Commandments and left them out in the woods just to lay in there and God didn't update them, the stone, once it is separated from the earth, it is dead. There is no life in stone. There is life in a heart of flesh. It is malleable. You can move it. It can grow. I mean, you can even use the the funny instance of the Grinch movie where his heart was so small and then when he got the love of Christmas, his heart grew three, th three sizes or whatever because he went from a stony heart to a heart of flesh and it's now malleable. 
we have to be malleable. God wants us to be able to be molded and moved. And this might not be a great place, but this is the place for you right now. And these trials that are just beating on you and you go, I cannot see a way out. And God just gives a little bit more and your heart can just, maybe just a little extra beat. And you go, I felt that. Something's different. There's a reason I need to be in this trial. There's a reason that I need to think that I'm just walking through hell every day. And we don't know that until we are given that heart of flesh. Because then it can be, so if you ever cut yourself, right? Not on purpose. We can talk about that later. That happens. If you cut yourself, catch your hand on a piece of rebar at work, whatever, it might cut deep. You get a good scar. I have some good scars from being a kid and, you know, falling and stuff, having to get stitches and whatnot. But eventually it heals over. Um, I mean, I, I rolled that skin all the way back. I saw my bone, but there's still, you couldn't tell if you, unless I point it out to you. I, I have, you know, decent scars on my knees from had to get stitches. I've had surgery and these things. Even my surgery scars start to go away because flesh will heal itself. Whereas stone, once it's written, it's done. You can't just erase it back off of there. So those trials and tests that we go through will give us scars both emotionally, physically, financially, but more, you know, we see it and we go, oh, maybe that's a reminder for a while. I see that, that I remember, because you talk to anybody that has a bunch of scars, most of the time they can go, well, that one's from this, and that one's from this, and the scars tell stories. But then they start going away, because maybe God doesn't need you to remember that story anymore. And that's where that flesh comes in, because you go, oh, well, I used to have something here, because I did, I did something. I don't remember what it was, though, but God healed it, and then you can walk away. But if it needs to stay there, then God can leave it there and not have to just keep etching it and etching it and etching it. You go look at a, a cow that's been branded. If you tan that hide, it will always be there. But if it's alive, you have to, the, the brand can, besides the hair, the brand can heal itself if it's not a deep enough brand. We'll get into that. So why was, whoops, I skipped way too far. Galatians 5.17. That is it. Stuck on something. There we go. Galatians 5.17 through 26. This is going to be a little bit of a long one. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one, or one to another, so that ye cannot do things that ye would. Paul says that, to paraphrase a little bit, to what I want to do, I can't do, and what I don't want to do, I can't stop doing. Right? The spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and they are contrary one to another. So how can you sit there and tell me? So I heard a story about 
a guy, he was guest preaching, and I've told Brother Sam, and I showed it to Erica, and I don't know if I showed the kids, but he was guest preaching, and he said, what if I showed up late? Like, the music's done, and I come busting through the back doors, and I come running up here out of breath, and everybody's like, why are you late? And uh, I said, well, I had a flat tire on the highway coming out here. And while I was changing the tire, I dropped a lug nut, and it rolled out into the street, out into the highway. And uh, I ran out there, and when I grabbed it, I bent over to grab it, and when I looked up, there's a 30-ton logging truck 10 yards away from me. And it hit me, and it made me a little late, and then I got my tire back on, and I came here. Everybody here would go, you're either a liar or that didn't happen. Because you cannot stand and get hit by a 30-ton logging truck doing 70 miles an hour and then stand up here and preach in a physical sense. Everybody here would say that. So my question then would be, what is bigger, God or a 30-ton logging truck? So how can you tell me that you have stood face to face and had an experience with God and there is no change in you? You cannot say that the Spirit is the Holy Ghost. The Spirit is dwelling inside of me and I still do all those things. I'm not saying that they all fall off overnight. Some of us it did. Some of us there's still those clinging vines that hang around that Satan wants to give remembrance to, but there's still a change. And there has to be a change. If there's not a change, you're not opening up your heart to let him come in. 18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Oh, man, I can do anything I want to do, and I'm just forgiven. That's called hypergrace. There's many other scriptures that we can take out of context and say, okay, I know that I'm good because when I go out on a Friday night and I get drunk, I'm already forgiven. And I'll show up to church Sunday morning and be just fine. 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Not what I want. I want to inherit the kingdom of God. I want to live forever and ever and ever infinitely in his presence. 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory provoking one another, envying one another. Now you go, Matt, I can guarantee you 
that most of that list of the bad things I have not done. I have never murdered anybody. And I want to challenge that because I would say we are all guilty of murdering somebody's testimony. There is more than one person to murder somebody. One More than one way to murder somebody. You can start one little thing against somebody to where you do not think that it's going to go anywhere. Maybe it's just you go out and, you know, here all you ladies are in your skirts, you have long hair, you do not have makeup on, you do not have big high heels on, you don't have your fishnet stockings. But then on Friday nights, it's a different story. Maybe it's still a skirt, but it's only this long. All makeup, you can't even tell who it is, and, you know, whatever the case is. And somebody goes, well, don't they go to Brother Sam's church? They go to that, that church up in Bentley. Well, if she does that, then I bet they all do that. Maybe maybe all of us guys, we're here, and, you know, we have long pants on. I've never really seen anybody show up to church in shorts, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's happened. I have not. But, uh, and we have, you know, our hair is done. What's left up there is kind of nice, and we take care of ourselves, and, uh, I mean, we're not in here blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We're not cussing and hooping and hollering and drinking. But let's say that one of you is seen by somebody. I mean, there's only 30 of us in here, but some of us know a lot of people. I mean, I work at Cessna. That's a couple thousand people. People know my face. They might not know my name, but I tell people that I go to a church, and I tell people I go to this church, and I invite people. So if they ever see me doing something that's not here, not only does it ruin my testimony, but it ruins everybody sitting in this room. And it demolishes anything. They go, oh, well, that just, that, that Parker preacher is just preaching lies. He's not preaching anything. Obviously, look, there's no change in his congregation. So when you say, you got to be careful, and I'm not saying don't tell people that you come to Word Made Flesh Assembly. I love telling people I come here because then they ask questions. We were at Joanne Fabrics yesterday to get some stuff, and uh, Erica's making a skirt at co-op, and uh, the lady goes, oh, this is really good material for skirts. I've worn skirts my whole life. And... Presley and I kind of look at each other like, that's interesting. Now, I know there's other denominations. There's, you know, Holiness Pentecostal. There's some sects of Baptists. There's different, you know, spinoffs there that they do it too. But she's like, I've worn skirts my whole life. I've always done it. It's part of my uh, faith because she didn't say religion. And I'm like, that's interesting too. So I asked Erica because I wasn't part of the conversation. I was like, why did you not say what is your face? She said, I wasn't led to. And I was like, kind of wish you would have. Because that was interesting. She's outside. She's about to walk back in the door. She didn't get to hear me talk about her for a minute. But that was interesting because most people would say, it's part of my religion. I wear skirts because my church says so. But to say it's part of my faith is a whole different statement. That is saying... 
There's something there. I mean, that was, you said it right there. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. So to say that, I mean, I don't see religion in that list. I don't see denomination in that list. It says faith. And you go, mad. everybody needs faith. You're right, we do. Except the fruit of the Spirit. I want all of those. I want everything that's on that list. I want everything that God wants to give me. That example that Brother Sam gave about the... uh, the store, if I walked in here and I said, Aaron, I just bought Pribinos. Everything in it is yours. All of y'all, anybody here, anything you want, just go down there and get it. Guarantee that there's some of us that would go, oh, well, I don't, I don't really, somebody else will need that more than me. Okay, then give it to them, but it's yours to take. I want everything that God has to give me. I'll, I'll not just take inventory of it. I want to clean the shelves and then I can bless other people with the gift that he's given me. I don't want to take it and bury it away and hope that it grows something else. I take it and I give it and I go, hey, do you need anything? Because I got a whole bunch of stuff in my pantry. Somebody somebody be like, man, I just, you know, my, my paycheck wasn't that big this week. I got you. Come over to the house. Now I can go anything in that pantry is yours. Just take it. Whatever you need. Just take it. So there's more than one way to kill somebody. There's more than one way to murder somebody. I'm sure that we have all been envious at some point. We have reviled. I know me personally, I was real good at that drunkenness part. But these spirits or these uh, fruit of the spirit they seem so much more simple and if you look at it you go that's nowhere near as long of a list so I don't got to carry as much baggage I mean it's all good things so it's not going to be help, you know, heavy I mean Jesus said that his yoke is light and his burden is light and his yoke is you know, not heavy and it's broken you ain't got to do nothing it's real light you ain't got to worry about it so why do we just you know what that's just who I am. I got to carry this around. You said it. I had seen it in another one. People say, oh, well, I got to get my life right before I come to God. Do you take a bath before you take a shower? Do you got to get clean before you get in the shower? That's the purpose of coming here. What it is is you don't want to give up that thing that you would have put on this piece of paper. You want to hold it. Okay, I'll write it down, but I'm going to hold it like this. And ain't nobody going to take it away from me. That's who I am. Genesis 22. 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, I'm going to stop right there because that's a word people go, I thought the Bible said that he... Don't tempt God and he won't tempt you and lead me not into temptations. Okay, the difference in this tempt, the word here that it uses, is God testing Abraham's sincerity, loyalty, and faith. The New Testament categorically says that God does not solicit any man to do evil, tempt them. So compare, uh, uh, it talks about Old Testament references. So it is testing his sincerity, loyalty, and faith. 
everybody in here should have been tempted in this sense multiple times in their life. Because when we say, God, I'm going to give you everything. I've always heard, be careful praying for patience because God will give you a reason. To, that's this. Be careful saying that I'll give everything to you, God. If you just give me a son, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Okay, give him back. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Give him back. He said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. And you go, Matt, hold on a minute. He had a son with Hagar, Ishmael. These are not my words. The Bible said his only son, Isaac. Whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took him or took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, huh, that's coincidental, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said, Unto the young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they, excuse me, so they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, there it is again, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Why was he willing to sacrifice Isaac? Are you willing to lay down? There's a song that says, I lay my Isaac down. So are you willing to lay down that one thing that you hold most dear to you? That one thing that you love more than anything else 
outside of Jesus Christ, when you say, Lord, I give you everything, are you willing to say even that? That's a heavy statement. That's a heavy statement. Something else that I noticed in this just now, when the Lord called Abraham, he said, here I am. And when Isaac said, called Abraham, he said, here am I. And then when it says the angel of the Lord, because up here it says God. When God called him, he said, here I am. And then the other two times he said, here am I. And that's, I mean, that's almost, you know, that's, that's different. It's a different type of salutation. Something else I want to pull out. We'll stop. Let me, I'll come back to that. Why did he not hesitate? Some people say that Abraham didn't hesitate because he grew up in a land that they sacrificed their sons. So he goes, oh, this is a normal thing that God's asked to do. We just kill our kids. It's a normal thing. I do not agree with that. And if you read any of the, any of the times that Brother Branham referenced this, he did not agree with that either. He never mentioned it once. The reason that he did not hesitate is because he knew that no matter what, Either there's going to be a Jehovah Jireh is going to step through and provide, or as soon as that knife plunges in and it's done, Isaac will jump up off that altar and be alive. That's faith. That's faith to know that no matter what happens, God's going to take care of it either way. And even if it did come down to it and Isaac was dead, he knows that God's still going to provide that promise because God said, you will have Isaac. So, I mean, it might have even been some time that he sat there. He might have, okay, I'm going to keep, God said to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And it might have come down fire from heaven, fall and burn everything like it did with Elijah. And then when everything steps out of the way, there stands Isaac. And you go, Matt, that, that sounds like a movie. More sounds like to me, and I thought about this. If you've ever watched the Avengers movies and you have something called the Soul Stone, you had to sacrifice something that was great. That sounds more to me that somebody in there was like, I'm going to change this story a little bit and I'm going to make it into a movie. <laughs> because there's nothing new. They can't come up with new ideas. They're just going to steal these. The way that I read it, Abraham was very calm. Also, the way that I read it, Isaac was pretty calm. This is not the first time he's seen a burnt offering. That's why he asked, Hey, Dad, I have the wood. You have the fire. Pretty big pig sticker on your hip. Where's the lamb? And Abraham just said, God will provide. And Isaac went, okay. And just keeps walking. Doesn't think nothing about it. It was a three-day journey to offer up his only son. That's not my words. That's the Bible. He said it twice. But you can't say that God didn't recognize Ishmael because in the previous chapter, when Hagar was walking away to let Ishmael die, that's pretty harsh. Hey, we have no food or water, so I'm going to put you in these bushes and I'm going to just walk off. 
because I can move faster without you. And that's what chapter 21 says. The angel of the Lord, and this is what it says in 21, 16 through 20. The angel of the Lord heard the voice of the lad from where he was. And it even says God was with the lad. Another thing that I find awfully coincidental, Ishmael also had 12 sons. That's kind of kind of coincidental. So was it a coincidence that the father of nations took his only son on a three-day journey up a hill while Isaac, the only son, was carrying wood to be sacrificed Isaac let his hands be bound. Jesus let them tie him to that pole. Jesus let them beat him. Jesus let them tie him to that cross and then put the nails through it. Most people didn't get nails in a crucifixion. The Roman populace, the Roman army was so scared that he was going to come off and just decimate everybody that they put them big old nails in there. Most people just got tied up. He let his body be laid up for a sacrifice. Then a substitute was used instead. Jesus took our place. He took my place. He took your place. Put yourself in there so that you didn't have to die for your, in your sins, to your sins. The price of sin is death. Nobody in here can argue that. It's said multiple times it's elaborated on it's spelled out this way it's spelled out that way nothing you can do will do tried to do thought about doing outside of putting your life in Christ Jesus will gain you anything you deserve nothing but everything he took for you at the cross so next time you read that whole redemption story next time you read about everything that happened to Jesus that's what you deserved and more. But the problem is you could have took a thousand crosses and still ended up separated from God for all eternity. Living down here. I mean, think about that. You take the cross, you get beaten, you die, and you're just like, what was it for? I thought I'd get something out of it. Is that not how works work? I do something right and God gives me a brownie point. And that gives me a, a, a better seat on the bleachers of heaven, right? No. You get one point, and that point is, did he put his life in Christ or did he deny Jesus? That's it. It's a check mark or it's blank. That's all. But when that goes, that is when the works will then follow because now he comes in and he goes, let me show you what this is really about you don't just have to deny everything that all your friends say are fun and or get up early and go to church on a Sunday morning I love getting up early to come to church on a Sunday morning I like to sleep too my alarm accidentally went off at 20 to 6 today don't know how that happened took a quick little nap got back up um, coming on a Wednesday night it's not a chore anymore Whereas when I was in other churches and, and denominations, you're like, man, I just had a long day. I'm tired. I don't want to be preached at. And I 
think that's the big thing is a lot of places it's not a relationship. Like you said, talking about what goes on in here is talking about like you were there. And Joseph said, we all went to breakfast while the ladies were at breakfast yesterday. A couple of us met before he went to a funeral. And Joseph said, uh, because you were there. Because everything in here talks about Jesus, right? But it also says that we were in his mind and we were with him since the foundation. So everything in here, you were there. You watched it happen. Always said that I hope that when we get to heaven, that the first couple millennia, we get to sit down and watch a movie on everything that actually happened. Take all the spiritual amnesia away. Just sit back, watch it on the big heavenly big screen. <laughs> You'd be lost and separated from God, no matter if you do not put everything you are in Him. I say. Abraham was so calm because he put Isaac into the Lord too. He wholeheartedly trusted the Lord with Isaac, not just Isaac by himself. He trusted the Lord with everything. Here you go. You gave him to me. I didn't manifest this son of, on my own volition. When I tried to do it, look what happened. So you gave him to me, so I give him back to you. He's yours. Do with as you will. Abraham's heart desired more of God. And if that's what it takes, then so be it. His heart's desires were changing. In 1956, Brother Branham, message called God Provided a Lamb, Starting in, it's just chapter, or it's paragraph 41, but it's a very long paragraph. Notice, this is what Brother Branham said. Notice then, he takes this his little boy, binds his hands and his feet. Isaac never said a word, obedient unto death, just like Jesus was at the cross. Laid him up on the altar, pulled out the knife, the tears maybe, rolling down his cheeks, laid his hand on his little head, brushed back the curls, pulled back the knife like this, raised his hands to plunge the knife into his son's, his own son's throat. Because God had told him to do it. Just about the time he got ready to act upon God's commandment, the Holy Spirit grabbed his hand and said, Abraham, stay your hand. I know you love me. About that, about that time right over behind him, a ram hooked in the wilderness with his horns by his horns, sorry, or no, with his horns, bleated. Hallelujah. Oh, my, hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise our God. What was it? Abraham loosed his son, went over, and got this ram and offered him instead. I want to ask you something, friends. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Where did that ram come from? He was 100 miles from civilization, and beside that, that ram couldn't have been there the wolves and lions and things would have eaten it and another thing it's up on top of a mountain where there's no water where did the ram come from jehovah jireh the creator spoke the lamb into existence he is there all the times 
He's, that lamb, come into existence in one minute and died the next minute for one man taking God's word. One man taking God's word. God created a lamb to give as a sacrifice. Because Abraham knew he now could not, no matter what happened, even though God said, stop, don't kill Isaac, he was up there to give a sacrifice. He had built the altar. He was, God said to give a sacrifice. He's not coming back off that mountain until a sacrifice has been given. One man. And how, I mean, yes, there weren't as many on earth at that time as there are today. But God moved for one man. The creator spoke the lamb into existence. He's there all the time. That lamb come into existence one minute, died the next. For one man taking God's word, God provided the thing, and he's still Jehovah Jireh tonight, this morning, here in Bentley, Kansas. That'll provide the sacrifice, and every time that a man or woman will take his word and step out on it and call it the truth, I felt someone say it was a vision. Catch those words. I felt someone say it was a vision. That means while Brother Brandon was sitting here talking, he went, one of y'all just said that was a vision and it didn't happen. So now you know that person was like, whoa, that just got real, real fast. That did not, I did not expect. I felt someone say it was a vision. It wasn't a vision, it was a ram. He laid it on the altar and killed it. Blood ran out of it. It was a ram. God the creator spoke it into existence and he can do the same thing tonight. Can speak into existence the power and the operation of the Holy Ghost to transform a sinner into a saint. His omnipotence is here. His presence, he's here. He's still Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. How can I be saved, Brother Branham, when I've done fill in the blank? The Lord has provided. And you go, Matt, I'm already saved by the definition. Okay, Brother Branham covered that too. Look at the next sentence. How can I be healed? The Lord has provided a ram. You believe it. And then they pray. I want to read a note here. So I got this new Bible. I guess I can still call it new. New Bible. And it's a Schofield study Bible. And sometimes there's tons of like notes down here at the bottom and they just hit a little different and they spell things out so uh, Genesis 22 and 1 and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am so 22 1 after these things the spiritual experience of Abraham was marked by four great crises each of which involved a surrender of something naturally most dear. Country and relatives, Genesis 12, 1. And then it says, compare that to Matthew 10, 34 through 39, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Two, his nephew, Lot, especially dear to Abraham by nature, as a possible heir and as a fellow believer, Genesis 13, 1 through 18, 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8. The completeness of Abraham's separation from one who, though a believer, 
was a vessel unto dishonor is shown by Genesis 15, 1 through 3. Compare that to Acts 15, 36 through 40, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21. How can you tell me that this book is not divinely expired when there are a thousand years in between these two? Number three, his own plan about Ishmael, Genesis 17, 17 through 18. Compare that to 1 Chronicles 13, 1 through 14, 15, 1 through 2. And then what we just read, Isaac, thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Genesis 22, 1 through 19. But compare that to Hebrew 11, 17 through 19. But it's not divinely inspired. It's just a bunch of guys wrote some books and then they read the last guy's book and wrote down the same notes. Right? That's what happened. This was on, let me go down a little bit, lovest in, in uh, verse 2, lovest. First use of the word love is in Genesis 22 and 2. That's the first use of the word love. Compare that to John 5 and 20. Moriah, which is where the mount he was told to go, the offering of Isaac may have occurred near the place where the temple of Solomon was built. Compare that to 2 Chronicles 3 and 1. So you're telling me that a couple 700 plus years or so, oh that's later on, a couple hundred years in between this and a temple being built on the exact same rock, uh, it's just a coincidence. And then you look back. God hadn't told me to do it, but I've been stu- I studied the temple there for a long time. And if you look at where the wall was placed, where the temple was, the do- it's now called the Dome of the Rock. All that weaves in and out of every page of this Bible. Amen. That location. That is not that big. That's not a big location. It was just the temple, and then they had the wall around it. And all in all, I mean, it's literally like not much bigger than the footprint probably of Bentley. It's really not that big. But all this happened through thousands of years on almost the exact same spot. Come on, man. 1 Samuel 13 and 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. thought you said that God is a, was a spirit. Well, we're going to get into that. It's his heart meaning his desire. So we could replace that, which is what we learned prior. God has sought a man after his own desires. That's saying that David had the same desire as God had. And how do you get that? You just say, use me. Everything I have is nothing. Take me, rip it out. It might be painful, but it's going to be better in the end. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. 
because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. He did not say, David, I would like you to be king. Um, I'm going to anoint you. You're going to lead your people. He commanded him to rule God's people. That's not a question. You don't go, well, you know, let's talk about that a minute. Now, once again, David was a boy when that happened. This whole time, David's been living with it. When you get called to do something, when Brother Sam or I got called to preach, I got called at a young age, and I tried to bargain, and I ran for a long time. But the timing wasn't right. If I had gone straight into it, then it would have been bad. I should have given more and let God open the door, not trying to rhyme. I should have just given up and let God move me where he wanted me. But when you're called, that's not a debate. If he calls Aaron to be a, a, a minister of the word and Aaron's like, well, I don't want to let me do this and I got to get this right first. And I'm not asking. God commanded David to rule his people. And the only way that you can live up to that commandment is to let God, because let's be honest, if David had tried to step up at 14 years old and go, I'm now in charge, what would have happened? Everybody, he'd have been ridiculed. He'd have been laughed out of Israel. I mean, it would have just, you'd have been an outcast. Everybody would be like, this dumb boy thinks that he can just come in here because somebody poured oil on his head. But then, look at everything that happened, everything he had to go through. But then when he did become king, he goes, I know what it's like. When the crippled man was throwing rocks and throwing curses at him and stuff, and David's guard said, should I just cut this dog's head off? He goes, no, God told him to do that. How many times have you been ridiculed feel like you're getting beat down, and you're like, I just, like the disciples, I'm about to just call fire down on you. David just goes, no, God told him to do that. I deserved it. And he just kept walking, kept getting rocks thrown at him, insults thrown at him. So what made David different? Was it his faith? Was it his trust in the Lord? Was it his love for God and others? Look how he treated while Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was a large man. Saul was a very intimidating figure. Saul chunked a spear so hard it embedded itself in a stone wall. They didn't have plaster of Paris and dry rock or drywall and sheetrock. They didn't have soft stuff. He embedded a spearhead, which might have been kind of sharp, into a wall. And David still loved him. David still didn't want to do anything to hurt him. He, I'll just separate myself from the equation. I'm going to just go out here. And he kept trying to kill him. He had the opportunity in the cave. And all he did was, I could have killed you, but I love you. Stop doing what you're doing. Do you have that kind of love for your enemies? I think you could very safely say that Saul and David were enemies. And all David wanted to do was save him because he loved him. Was it his humility? Now look at Saul. 
He was chosen to be king because of his stature. That's what happened. He was big. He was intimidating. We've talked about that. The people of Israel said, I want to have a king just like these people and these people. And you just said you don't want to be those people, but you want to be just like those people. That doesn't make sense to me. So look at Saul. When he and his army were under attack and afraid, instead of waiting for Samuel to arrive and make a burnt offering to God, Saul did it himself. Why is that so bad? We're told to make, you know, we give a living, we're a living sacrifice. We're told to give things up to God. Multiple times we just read about Abraham doing a burnt offering. He didn't have to wait for somebody else to come do it. One reason, he received express command to wait seven days. And this had been confirmed by appointed signs. Two, he knew the stakes of his kingdom depended on him waiting. Three, he chose impatience and distrust in God. He might have, he might have not meant, he might not have meant to deliberately disobey God's commands, but he did because of the pressure of his surroundings to continue waiting was tedious and uncertain. At any moment, his retreat to the mountains could be cut off. He chose what looked like the best thing to do. He took matters into his own hands, and he made the burnt offering to rush God. I'm about to not have an escape. Look at what's going on around me, and you want me to wait a couple more days? If he had waited a couple more days, he could have walked out and not worried about it. There would have been no problems. He could have just... I see the storm, God, and I know you're doing something in it, but you told me to wait seven days, and I got a couple more. Here we go. I'm going to just hold down this spot. We've said it before, and I'll say it again, and it, and it would have applied to Saul in this instance. If God tells you to do something, if he has a work for your life, you are basically invincible. When you step outside of that is when you get hurt. If you stay in God until that work is done, nothing can stop you. Nothing can touch you. You can hear Satan bark and plead and beg and just, I'm going to get you. No, you're not, man. You never have and you never will. Until I step over here and I put my foot in your mouth and let you bite me. But you got to take your foot off his neck first. Four. When called out for his disobedience, Saul made excuses rather than take responsibility for his actions. That is the exact opposite of David. David got called out for his problems, and he said, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I had a lapse of judgment, and Lord, please forgive me. And he would offer up an offering like he was told to do. I'm going a, I'm to a close on this and then so singers and musicians can start coming back up. 1 Samuel 15 and 22, just over a page or two. It's a longer book than I thought it was. And Samuel called, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken 
and to hearken than the fat of rams. Just obey him. Just listen to what he has to say for you. And you go, but Matt, I'm not a king. I'm not, I'm not, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a king over a country. Revelation 5 or 1, 5 and, five and 6, and this is what we will close on. Revelation 5 or 1, 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, that starts off very pointed, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Were you loved and washed and that is me. I am loved. I am washed in his blood. I am free from my sins. So now, okay, we put ourselves in the end of verse five. So if you say, Matt, I'm in the, in the end of verse five. Everybody agree? Then you're in six too. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Sorry to tell you, you're a king too. So that does apply to you. We are kings unto him trying to get ahead of God. And then denying your mistakes is what's called misfeasance. Misfeasance is the, you've all heard of malfeasance, but misfeasance is... The willful, inappropriate action or intentional, incorrect action or advice. I have no clue what happened there. I'll have to fix it in a minute. So remember, you are kings and priests unto God. Outside of him, you are nothing. Inside of him is when you start getting what his heart desires, your heart to desire. I ask, can I have Wednesday too? Because I'm only like halfway done. Okay. Please come back Wednesday so that we can finish this. Uh, I'll say it like the altar is open. It is always open. You cannot close the altar. If there is anything that is standing in the way of you and your relationship with God this morning. Let today be the last day that it stands there. Come up here in faith. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to talk to Sam. I cannot help you. There is nothing in me. There is nothing in him that can help you. We just stand here as pillars of faith to fight that fight with you. But you don't have to talk to us. That's why I was going to keep it secret on the pieces of paper. So you can just come up here, lay it at this altar, but leave it here. Don't take it home with you this morning. Don't take it home with you. Leave it here. Leave it inside of here and let God purge it when we're not around. God will take care of it. That's the whole point of the offering. But if you don't lay it down, there is no offering. And God told us to lay it all at his feet. Give it to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for using me this morning. 
I pray, Lord, that I did not say anything outside of what you wanted me to say. I ask, Jesus, that you just continue to let this word work on everyone here and everyone listening. Anybody that will listen to the podcast or the live feed or the video, just let it just reach out and touch everybody. People walking by, people driving by this building, whatever it is, let them know that something's different that's going on here. Let them know that, yeah, we might not be that Methodist church that established this building or whatever, but it was all because of what you did. You let this building get built a hundred plus years ago so that I could stand here this morning and tell people all around the world about your love for them and how you want to have a closer relationship with them, how you want to open their heart and all the bad out so that they don't have to suffer anymore. It is nothing but suffering to carry around the weight of the world in our hearts. And you tell us just to give it all to you and you'll take care of it. I pray, Lord, that this, that this message continues to just grow with everyone and let them open up everything that they are to you. Let them open the shades and the shutters and the windows and the doors to their heart to let you come in and purge everything that is not of you, everything that is not like you and that you can take your place, your rightful place on the throne of their heart and that all, all the cares and the worries of the world will have to be filtered through your presence and through your love for them and let them learn and know that joy and that peace and that lightness just not having to you feel like you can just jump from hill to hill and mountaintop to mountaintop because you just there's no weight holding you down let them learn what that is in you let them not suffer anymore with these things that are troubling them ask, Lord, that you bless each and every person that is under the sound of my voice or ever will be under the sound of my voice. Touch them. Let us, we stand in that gap for those that need you, Lord. I'll stand there and fight that battle alongside my brothers and sisters, and I will share my faith with their faith, and between the two of us, we'll bind together and defeat anything that Satan can throw at us. And Satan, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot have this people any longer. You never were allowed to. You tricked them into thinking that you owned them. But you don't. There is nothing that you have in store that will defeat the one that is living inside of us. And through him living inside of us, that gives us the power to tread on serpents. That's you. You are done. You are defeated. Your neck is stretched out and we stand upon it here in victory this morning. It may just be the 30 of us, but we are we are a mighty army that will march out into, into God's country, into God's land, into God's earth. This morning, as we leave this place, Father, just guide our footsteps let us never go anywhere you don't want us to go, see anything, hear anything. Just let us move always being led by your spirit everywhere that we go and talking to, even though it might sound scary, but you'll give us the words to say when you tell us to witness to that 
that lost co-worker or that, that one friend or whatever the case may be. Let us march out of here in victory. Let everyone hold their head high knowing that the battle is already won in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do, what you are doing in this assembly, what you have done in each and every one of our lives, how you are currently working and what you're going to do in the future. Just let us stay when you say stay and let us go when you say go. And I ask these things in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Amen. More than anything, and Lord, as time goes by, oh, I'll be by your side, cause I never want to go back to my old life. I need you more, oh, more than yesterday. I need you He said, we're two or three together in my name. I was talking with Sister Vanessa before service today. The reason why Satan tore down baptism, the why Satan did all these different things, to get the name taken from you. Because if you don't have the name, you don't have the power. 
So you see why Satan tricked you in the baptism in the name of the Father, the Son. It's a trick out of the live devil that come out of the Catholic Church to keep the power of God from you. Satan is reading the same scripture you're reading. Satan is looking at Luke chapter 10 verse 19. Satan sees him say, behold, I give you power. And you find there's only one place God puts that power. It's in his name and those that dwell under his name. So what Satan says, what I'll do, I'll take that power from them by giving them another way than what God requires. Now what Satan will also do, you see, God requires you to give all your life to him. I love what God put on Brother Matt's heart today. People like to twist these things. Well, the Bible says God will give me the desire in my heart. I can live how I want. I can think how I want. You ain't read the same Bible. You let the, the Satan trick you and deceive you and say, well, I'll take this word. I'll take this word. And, and I'll just be so cuddly and happy and empty inside. But when you start to read and see what God actually says, you know what? That's a lot harder than what Satan portrayed to me. Satan, just like your Lord Jesus in that temptation in the desert, he come to him and said, yes, uh, you probably were required to give your life and be beaten and all these things, but let me just give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. No struggle, no, no sacrifice, no, no beating that one man can take. Nobody has to nail you to the cross. I'll give it to you now. Let me make it easy on you. You, you've read the Bible. You know what the Bible says. Satan come to your Lord, your master, and said, I'll make your life easy. Let's do this. God is not that dumb. He's like, no, it always requires a sacrifice because sacrifice overcomes the flesh. Sacrifice conquers the flesh. We, we tell you this in a lot of different ways, how just to be able to come to the house of the Lord, just to come, just to walk through the doors is a sacrifice. Well, I've been struggling, and Satan's beating me up. I, I, I'm not going to dispute that with you. Satan's a worthy adversary, but you put your foot on his head just to walk in the door. Now, that's one part. Now, will I agree with what's being said? If it's out of the Bible, when I hear these verses come out, will I sit there and go, person sitting beside you going, I don't think they even agree. Must not even agree. You put you in front of a basketball game or baseball game or football game, you'll agree. You have to find a good movie you like, something good on your phone you like, you'll agree. But in the house of God, he's talking about something with eternal quality, something that changes your life. Yes. It changes how you think. It changes the fruit you, you portray and bear. And Oh, I heard something said of the day, Brother Ramsey, they were in a church and they were visiting a church. He said it was, I don't remember what it was, Baptist or Methodist, something like that. He said, and they weren't a place nobody ever said amen. He said, the pastor hit something. He said, it's kind of like maybe a crumb coming out from behind that Shekinah glory. That little crumb come out, and we really enjoyed it. We said, praise the Lord, amen. And the whole church turned around and looked, and he said, they didn't enjoy that crumb. He said, we enjoyed that crumb. I don't care if it's a speck out of that book of life. I don't care if it's a speck off that tree of life. My heart, it goes crazy over it. It goes crazy over it. We're talking about the deep call of the deep. The reason why your heart goes crazy is because you're a part of it. Amen. It's what you're made of. It's what you're designed for. It's that eternal quality and attribute of God that all of this creation, all of this planet has been waiting forever to see you born, to see you molded by the fiery furnace and trials of affliction that make you express the right character, the right attribute, to have the right sounding bell that God's been looking for since the foundation of the world. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. I look at so much of my life and how much I've wasted. So much time I've wasted. I've looked where Satan has beat me. And so many times given minutes and hours and days wasted on anything but something of God. Wasted on anything 
but something of God's. There's things that aren't bad that, that, that are used for bad. I think about even Craigslist. I'm looking for parts for a tractor or for a truck, things I need, and Satan will get you lost in that. You're honestly looking. You have a need. you got to do it, and Satan will, I don't be on this thing an hour and a half. But, and it just blinks away. But sit down and try to read your Bible, and your flesh is just fighting you, and your flesh is, Satan's fighting you. you somebody calls your phone. You get a text, all these different things, and Satan knows what changes you. And it's anything that God will change you, anything of God. Whether it's prayer, whether it's reading his word, listening to a sermon. So you know your fight. You know the enemy. But I'll say it again. Satan's defeated. You're not. Don't let him put his foot on your neck. Your foot only belongs on his neck. And if you ever look at your demon, the devils that fight you, if you could stretch them out, you'll notice. Because not everyone here has the same size shoe size. We all got different size shoes. Samuel, Presley. Matt, Charity, we've all got different size shoes. Your demon's neck is specifically designed for your size 12 or your size 9 or your size 6, whatever it is. You look at his neck, stretch it out. You know, my foot fits perfectly there. He was created to go under your feet. You're not meant to be defeated. Amen. Captain of our salvation bought you, changed you, purchased you, and said, you're mine. Well, I appreciate the Lord. I appreciate what God's doing in our, in our midst. I appreciate what he's doing in each one of our lives. I, I love him for his grace and his mercy. Um, we'll be in prayer for the service on Wednesday night. Come back even more on fire for God. And you notice, how many, let me ask you like this, how many here today have felt the Spirit of God touch your life? In the worship service. How do you, how do you live through that and not be changed? How do you live through that and say, ah, no big deal? Didn't do nothing for me. I don't know what's going on with them. That's, that's strange. That's a little bit fanatic. A little bit of fanaticism. A little bit of an oddball. But you realize that the more you surrender to God, the further in that you get. If you just, if you just come up to the court, the, the door of the inner court, between the inner court and the Holy of Holies, and you just stay on this side of it on your knees, and, oh, I'm enjoying it. It's real good. And, but if you go a little bit further inside... You go a little further inside, a little further inside, it gets better and better and better and better. And you're changed more and more and more. God bless you this morning. He's already prayed. You are dismissed. We love you. We're leaving with you. 